Good morning, Sangha. So this morning, the instructions are progressing to the third foundation of mindfulness, Chitta Nupassana. We, uh, just to recall or to remember, the first foundation was mindfulness of the body and just resting in the body in a whole body awareness. There is a body. And um, I actually like to start my meditations with a body scan just to um, to increase the samadhi or the level of steadiness of mind a little bit. So that's part of the first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body. A nice body scan. Or you can also, just to start off with some stability and samadhi, uh, you could do a body scan or you can also uh, rest in whole body awareness and then uh, anchor your attention within a whole body awareness but directed at where you feel the breath most predominantly. And it's usually the rising and falling of the abdomen just to be with that for a while until you feel some stability of mind. Uh, And so that's the first foundation of mindfulness. The second, as we have heard, we heard yesterday so, um, so well from Bart is mindfulness of feeling tone or mindfulness of pleasant sensation, unpleasant sensation and neutral sensation. One thing I like to um, to uh, comment on when I'm having doing Vedana or when Vedana is the most predominant thing, I like to note whether it's a worldly Vedana or unworldly Vedana. And that means if our pleasant sensation is f- from something in conditioned existence, you know, something like a sense pleasure or something like that. And... Um, any uh, pleasant sensations from meditation are actually considered unworldly Vedana. So it's a, um, it's a pleasant sensation that we can have, a pleasant feeling tone that we can have that isn't dependent on external things, just on our own practice. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about mindfulness of mind. And... Um, Mindfulness of mind is, it's kind of a big category and all of the, uh, you know, these categories do overlap each other. But mindfulness of mind, one way to think about it is that it has three components. It has the component of thinking. And usually we uh, we can call this the story, whatever story the mind is telling us right now. And then the second aspect of thoughts, uh, you know, there's usually an emotional component of a thought we're having too. And that uh, is experienced as an emotional mood or tone in the mind, either, um, you know, wanting or not wanting or uh, contracted over 
sadness or other things. Or could be a mood of happiness and joy and uh, faith and gratitude, you know, a, a, an emotional mood that's very wholesome. And then the third component, in addition to thoughts, the story, the emotional mood, there's physical sensations associated with thinking too. And when we are having repetitive thoughts, it's, it's interesting to actually look for, um, look for, you know, notice what the story is, see what the sensations are that are associated with it, and see if there's a mood or tone that we can, um, we can uh, decipher. And usually when our mindfulness is pretty steady and um, intact, you know, the stronger our mindfulness is, the more subtle things that we can uh, notice and see. You know, a lot of people think that, uh, or s- there's a, a, an idea out there that you shouldn't have thoughts during meditation or that the purpose of meditation is to not have thoughts. So... Um, I don't know who originally said this, but I love this idea that thoughts are to the mind what saliva is to the mouth. (laughs) So if you want to stop thinking, you should try to stop salivating too. (laughs) It's not really going to happen. And the purpose is not to stop thinking. In fact, thinking has a lot of data for us. It has a lot of data. You know, I like to say that mindfulness, I think I said this already, is the data collection system for wisdom. And as we see what's happening, if we can see really clearly what's happening in our heart and mind, we don't have to do anything. We might feel this urge, oh, I can't have that thought. I shouldn't have this defilement or anything. You know, that's the next thing to notice is aversion to what's happening. Because we don't do anything. When our mindfulness and uh, satisapajanya, clear comprehension, is really present, uh, wisdom takes care of it. We don't do it. Wisdom does it. We have to surrender to that quality in our heart and mind. So don't, you know, don't feel like you need to change what you're thinking. You just need to see it as clearly as you can and let the path take over. It's one of those MAGA things with two G's. <laughs> the path, MAGA, yeah. The path takes over and wisdom arises and takes care of what is, you know, takes care of all of it, yes. One other thing, um, people have talked a lot about just a lot of rapid thinking and our dear uh, sister teacher, Dara Williams, uh, calls that detox. We often will detox, you know, things that we have been repressing, you know, in, in our daily lives, we'll pick up our phone or go get a mochi. That's what I do. I go get a mochi. <laughs> When thoughts arise for me that, eh, no, nah, not really. Let's go get a mochi. <laughs> but here we are, you know, doing, a, you know, we're loving ourselves. I mean, what is, what is love but attention, right? We're, we're a- attending to our own hearts and our own minds here. So we're really expressing love to ourselves. And um, 
you know, we can just watch as we let go of a lot of built up thoughts and emotions. And this is also within the third foundation of mindfulness. And if uh, thoughts and emotions come up, um, I like to say that in every single retreat, I always have one or two excellent sobbing meditations and stomping meditations. (laughs) You know, but just to know that that's happening just to be aware that that's happening and not act that out in, you know, with the person sitting next to us or one of the teachers or things like that. We want to watch our karma that way. So, um, let, you know, we can let the detox happen and just consider it an expression of love for ourselves. And then one last thing before we begin is um, many of us um, also know what the themes are. We have certain uh, themes of uh, thinking that happen quite frequently. One of mine, before actually I turned a certain age, (laughs) was romantic fantasy. And, uh, you know, I actually had a uh, you know, it was like, I would call it RF. So it would arise and i say, oh, RF, RF, because it was so common. So you might uh, look to see if there are common themes that arise and what m- might be the reason behind it. It's usually some expression, as um, Joseph so beautifully talked about last night, of tanha and upadana, of uh, clinging and craving. We're craving something to become something, to become a partner or a, you know, parent or whatever it is in, in the story. Okay, let's just sit. Whole body awareness. I like to set an intention at the beginning of meditation. It's become a habit. It's nice that it just happens automatically. May the energies of our practice be dedicated to our awakening for the benefit of all beings. Hmm. You can rest in a whole body awareness. If you feel you need a little more stability, you can find where breathing is the most predominant. And see if you can notice, not with any words or concepts, just how the in-breath is different from the out-breath. Counting is fine. On every out-breath you can count one up to ten and then back down if you really need a little bit more stability. And when we're ready, let's make thinking the object of our attention within a whole body awareness. Just watch to see how thoughts happen. 
in this heart-mind. Anchor and thinking. Once we have some stability of attention, some mindfulness, we can open up awareness, rest in spacious awareness, and then let mindfulness pick the object. Mindfulness will go to whatever is most predominant in the heart, mind, body. And again, you don't want to fall into it. We want to observe it and see the nature of it with our mindful awareness. What is most predominant now? Is it thinking? We might be on the lookout for how thinking carries away our awareness. And we're not knowing what's happening. We're on the train and not watching the train.
It's interesting to notice how long it takes us to realize we're thinking. Do we catch it at the beginning of a thought? When we have figured out whatever it is the process is doing? At the end of a thought, do we realize, oh, I was just thinking.
Mindfulness of mind is knowing if the mind is contracted by wanting. Is there wanting in the mind? Is there aversion? Do we not want something that's in the heart-mind? The mental state. Is there a veil of crabbiness or aversion over how I'm seeing things? Is that in the story the thoughts are telling about what's happening? Is there delusion in the mind? Confusion? Lack of clarity? Just notice it with as warm a heart as you can.
with our mindfulness, can we see that there is generosity in the mind, kindness, joy, Is there resentment, anger, wanting, restless distraction? sleepiness. If we have those, we're an excellent company because that's what the Buddha saw in his mind. It's not perfect, not permanent, not personal.
after we've been meditating a while, sometimes there's chatter in the mind. Just uh, words here and there that aren't really connected to anything or just a retelling of what's happening in the moment in words. We can just label that chatter. Let it go. Actually, I think Carol Wilson calls it static. Static thoughts that just are from out of nowhere and don't make sense.
There's one other useful term that I'm sure many of us know is papancha. Is uh, one thing that can happen within the mindfulness of mind. And that is just a proliferating thoughts. Just thoughts proliferating. And that's said to be caused by craving, tanha, clinging and craving, as Joseph talked about last night, but also conceit and wrong views. And uh, the Buddha was so brilliant. His idea of conceit was not just better than. You know, we think here in the West that conceit means that you feel you're better than someone. But the conceit of, you know, being so... I, me, and mine directed is also being a lot of thoughts about being less than. We can have a lot of thoughts like, I'm not good enough, this isn't working. That's a form of conceit as well. And uh, and then the same as like, well, why do they get to do that? I should get to do that. I'm as good as them. You know, it's all about being so focused on believing there's a concrete not seeing just how fluid these things are, these selves are. So any questions about practice? Yes? You mentioned wholesome, um, unworldly pleasure. Can you talk about wholesome, unworldly suffering? Yes. So the question is, uh, I talked briefly, I mentioned uh, there's such a, you know, we're considering now within early Buddhist, um, early Buddhist scholarship, he talked about unworldly pleasure. And the question was, what about unworldly displeasure? Yes. And actually, I think those are thought of as two very wholesome aspects that don't feel good, and those uh, are hiri and otapa, or fear of wrongdoing and shame of wrongdoing. It's thought, uh, for example, I can remember um, the first time I had a pretty big insight about anatta, I realized, wow, this is all happening by itself. And the first thing came to mind was, wow, but what if I kill somebody because there's nobody there? You know, it was like, I don't, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm not harming anybody with, since I really don't have the control I think I have, so. And that was a very, I mean, I sobbed over that feeling. It was unpleasant, but it was pretty wholesome. And it was an unworldly thing. And then, uh, you know, oftentimes in retreats, we'll have two or three days where we just remember all the bad things that we've done. <laughs> we'll just like, wow, boy, when I was in high school, I was not a very nice person. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that could be considered shame of wrongdoing, of just realizing, wow, I have caused harm and I don't, it doesn't feel good. And we're not, you know, we just kind of are holding that and opening to the fact that, yeah, we've caused harm. Any other ones besides those two? Here in Otapa. Unpleasant, unwholesome. I mean, unpleasant, um, unworldly. No? <laughs> Sometimes in the 
say it. <laughs> okay. Sometimes in the... <laughs> You know, an interest, and that's that's the unworldly. Oh yeah, that's very true. That's the unworldly pleasant, but sometimes in the course of the unfolding practice, we go through periods. And there are stages where a lot of fear is arising, or a lot of uncomfortable, pleasant, uh, uncomfortable sensations. But those are actually the fruit of the practice mm-hmm. along the way. Mm-hmm. So it's actually insightful, even though it's unpleasant. Uh, so that would be an unworldly, unpleasant feeling. Yeah, just no, another excellent. example of it. Yeah. No, yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, the human mind is going to tell a story about that. Right. No, you absolutely just notice that, hey, this is the human mind telling a story. So the question is about, um, I always forget to repeat the question, but yeah, so the question was, um, so sometimes you feel like meta phrases like, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, are a craving. Actually, um, let me speak to that. So there's a difference between craving and uh, wholesome desire, chanda, right? Chanda is wholesome desire. And, you know, that is part of the practices to uh, really, you know, thinking of this heart and mind as a garden where there's weeds over here and really beautiful things growing over here. We're watering the things that are really helpful and contribute to our own happiness and to the happiness of those around us and in our lives. And we're trying to pull the weeds of those things that are painful for us. And, you know, oftentimes we take it out in the world and we're causing harm and there's karma in that. And we don't get away with any of that. So what we're trying to do is essentially clean up our karma too and just create the conditions for our own well-being. So, um, Wanting to cultivate wholesome qualities is more chanda, which is a very wholesome, you know, wanting awakening to move towards awakening. And that isn't something, you know, that actually is something uh, that arises as part of the practice. We can see that arises part of the practice. It's not even something that we're doing, you know. And then the second question was about, what was it? Oh, a picture, yeah, and should we, uh, right. Exactly, but a lot of times we're, you know, you can think of, uh, as we're practicing mindfulness, Saripatthana, we can think of thoughts as, uh, noticing thoughts as the train moving by us, right? And we can say, oh, here comes the train, it's the three o'clock to New Jersey, (laughs) Or, you know, here comes the train. That's my romantic fantasy about that person in two aisles above me. (laughs) Whatever it is. Or, you know, this is me 
you know, feeling uh, not well cared for in my workplace or whatever the story is. But, you know, if we do that, we're realizing what's happening in the moment, but we can also get on the train and just think those thoughts for 20 minutes. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to not, uh, you know, get get uh, get on the train and think about whatever the topic is for 20 minutes, but just realizing that that's what's uh, arising in our awareness in the moment and just name that if we can and be aware of that in the moment. A lot of actually thoughts and emotions are actually incredibly subtle too, though. There's a lot of thoughts that are are you know, not very discernible. Uh, the Buddha talked about these. We all have them, uh, latent torments or latent defilements that we all have that are, you know, he talked about the unconscious mind before Freud did. <laughs> so we all have those two that unless our mindfulness is really strong, you know, we can see some manifestation of that but not see those clearly. And we just have to be patient with that and keep practicing. Yes? Oh, no, right there and then there, sorry. Yes? So last night, um, Joseph had made a distinction between um, desire for becoming, which is a negative thing to engage in, and then just planning, which is normal and a healthy thing to do. Um, it, it seems to me that, that those two things, often the things that we plan is informed Yeah, I think I got it. So it's uh, the distinction, and Joseph, he talked about bawa, or becoming, and uh, the desire of that, and then the planning could also be about just having to get things done. And, um, well, bawa in that sense, uh, or becoming, I love this topic. This is one of my favorite topics, but it's kind of a definitely, um, you know, it's part of the whole concept of dependent origination, which is the foundational concept uh, in our uh, Buddhist cosmology about what's happening and how things work. And it's said in that, and I don't want to go into a lot of it because that's like a definitely a PhD thesis on its own. <laughs> but it is uh, contact, you know, I'm in this room here right now and I'm sitting here, I'm the so-called sage on the stage, right? And... Um, so, uh, so I have feeling tone about this. You know, everything has, a feeling tone is a universal characteristic. So everything we do has a feeling tone to it. And sometimes it's very positive because I feel appreciated because of how I'm feeling from you guys. 
a lot of times I was sitting up here actually really happy during this last sit because I just realized that, hey, we're in the Dharma space. This is sacred space. And for me, I hold this retreat as a ceremony. You know, I'm in ceremony right now with my beloved community and that just felt really good. Uh, that was a Vedana. And then um, Vedana uh, turns into, actually after Vedana is Tanha, craving, so craving, so, you know, I want things to be pleasant. I want pleasant things, or I want, I want you guys to like me. I want everybody to have a high deal of respect for me. You know, whatever that is, consciously or unconsciously, right? And then uh, clinging, clinging. So uh, I'm clinging to that. I don't see very clearly through it. I can't see that I have that wanting in my mind, and that my sense of worth or my, um, you know, whether what I'm doing is wholesome or not really isn't dependent on what your reaction to me is. You know, it really is based on my own intention. So you could have a totally different reaction to me based on a lot of stuff that is going on with you or in our larger society that really doesn't impact whether what I'm doing is wholesome or not. And then, um, but, uh, so clinging you know, do I not know that and do I cling to, oh, I've got to be liked by everybody? And then that, you know, turns into bawa becoming. So I become, you know, the Dharma teacher that is either well-liked or not liked or forgotten. You know, one of those things becomes an identity. Does that make sense? And that is a process that, you know, it's very hard to see that conceptually because it's almost happening simultaneously. We can only see that in you know, a pretty strong mindfulness practice or, you know, if our karma is good enough, we have a big insight about that. So I would not even try to conceptually think about that. But I would try, I mean, we can notice the stories we're telling ourselves all the time about who we are, like, hey, I'm a college professor, they should, you know, they should respect me. And I can see that in myself all the time. That That's a form of mana, it's actually called... Uh, um, um, how do you, pana, panamana, which is wisdom conceit, you know, all, and we have that, we can see that all the time, you know, and, and uh, no, you don't see that? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're out of time, and I'm so sorry I didn't get to your question, but I, um, I know. So I would say that you should pose the question to your heart, all of these wonderful questions, pose them to chitta like your heart. What is needed now or what is this about? And don't let your thinking mind carry you away. You know, see if intuitive awareness will give you an answer. At least for this week, you know, absolutely friend me on Facebook and a couple days after it's over and I will send you all, everything on this topic, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> So um, another wonderful thing that we are going to do today is we are going to offer uh, uh, eight precepts. So those of you who want to get a little deeper into uh, the practice of retreat practice can uh, decide to uh, go on to eight precepts instead of five precepts. So the additional three precepts are not eating after the noon meal. So you will eat the noon meal, but you won't, if there's anything offered for dinner, like crackers or soup or anything, you wouldn't take that. But there is juice. You'll see in the back of the kitchen, 
our back of the dining hall, there'll be a place where it says for eight precept yogis. And that really is just for them. So, and there's usually juice and sometimes some hard candy. So please do, uh, if you're on eight precepts, please do feel free to have that. But if you're not on eight precepts, please leave it for them. And then uh, the seventh precept is about no entertainment. And we're not, you know, there's not that much entertainment offered. <laughs> I would, you know, part of my becoming would be that I hope I'm entertaining, but... <laughs> but I could see that and laugh about it and say, oh yeah, there you are, becoming, no. <laughs> and uh, also no adornments. Not, I don't think a lot of us are into adornments, but usually it means no jewelry or makeup and things like that. I think, you know, rings for, you know, my wedding ring, I usually, it's actually an engagement ring. I don't take it off when I do eight precepts, so I think that's okay. <laughs> and then the eighth one is a no luxurious bed, so please... If you, you know, had your luxurious bed and chair shipped in for the retreat, <laughs> please refrain from using them. So I'm feeling a lot of joy. I hope you guys are feeling the joy. Have a uh, So we are going to be seeing um, people in groups today. And just to let you know, I think this is such a, you know, good uh, news is that everyone will see all three teachers while you're here. And I know we love our OG Joseph. <laughs> and so everyone will get to see Joseph. So. <laughs> oh, OG for those who are a little older. So, young, so the younger people probably know what that means, right? Yeah, and isn't he the OG? He's totally the OG, right? <laughs> We're getting some of this going on. That means original gangsta, but it's, uh, it's an endearment, like, wow, this guy started this, you know, it's really a, an endearment. Okay, go. <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.